And if you think about what you just heard logically from a human perspective, and you think about what it is that we are encouraging our dear friend and sister in the Lord, Caitlin, to do, it's a little crazy, frankly. Humanly speaking, it, it really just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Over the last couple of years, and it's really hard uh, for Caitlin in 20 minutes to bring you on that journey. Um, and I didn't have a front row seat, but I had a seat near the front to watch her wrestle with uh, what God would have for her life and her identity in the Lord, uh, her identity as a servant of the Lord and what that, what that would mean for her. And that has also forced my hand as a shepherd who will give account for her and for how I direct her steps, not just me, but just in the conversations I've had with her, to wrestle with what am I encouraging her to do? I'm going to encourage her to, to up and leave everything she knows and go to, frankly, a hostile place for the sake of the gospel and invest her life bringing upon herself, I know, all kinds of difficulties and all kinds of trouble and sorrow so that the gospel can go forward. And you have to ask yourself in moments like these, what are we doing? Is this the right thing? And is it worthwhile? What, what compels us to do this? That question in itself could be a series of messages. So I'm going to try to answer three questions that I think kind of uh, expose that idea quickly because we don't have much time. I know you're laughing at me. As I think about this moment in the life of our church, which is a hugely significant one, and I hope that that has not been lost on you tonight. I don't think it has been, but it's a big deal that God's worked in this way in our church family, and we rejoice in that. But it also has high stakes, a high cost. So I ask the question, why go? Why stay? And why give? By why go, I mean why, why pick up and abandon what you know to go to another place for the sake of ministry? And then why stay? I, I mean not why stay here. I mean why stay there? Why stick with it? That's what James and Lindsay said when they were here. It's fairly easy to go. It's very hard to stay. And I, from watching missions my whole life, I would concur. And then why give? And by give, I don't just mean financially, though I certainly mean financially. But why give? Why support in prayer and gifts? So you're in Luke 9 to answer that first question, why go? This is baked into the cake of the work of Christ on our behalf, and his call to follow him. He says this to his disciples in 
Luke 9, just after he has foretold his own death. So the context is the sake of the gospel. That the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. That's verse 22. That's the finished work of Christ, right? For the sake of our redemption, our reconciliation to God, that we might have peace with God through his Son. And in the context of his work for us in that way, then he goes on to say to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? We wrestle every day in our journey through this world with valuing the wrong things, putting our, our um, highest worth on things that really don't matter, and missing things that have highest value in eternal perspective and making little of those things. And that's what Christ is addressing here. He's saying to, to follow me, this is what this looks like. And this is not a following so as to earn the grace offered in verse 22. This is the response to that grace given to us by Christ. So the gospel is not follow me, go and sacrifice for me so that you can make yourself good enough to become right with my Father. The gospel obviously is Christ has done all of that work for us, accomplishing our redemption, securing our salvation, and because he has done that, it radically changes us and makes us do things that from the human perspective don't make a whole lot of sense. And whether that means going to another continent or staying right where you're at and living a life that is entirely countercultural, it really doesn't matter. It's following Jesus with denial and delight. Those are the two things at stake here in verses 23 to 25. The denial is seen in that verse, uh, in verse 23, denying himself, taking up his cross daily and following Christ, carrying a cross is carrying a death, an instrument of death. You have lost your life because you are following Christ. Because his grace has accosted you and rescued you and saved you, you can't live for yourself anymore. As Paul says, I, I no longer live for myself. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In this life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. It's a, a denial of self, and it's a daily denial of self. It's not a, a one-time deal. It's an ongoing constant in the life of the believer as we follow Christ. This isn't my life to live. It's Christ's life to live through me because it's a life he's rescued by the sacrifice of, of himself on the cross for me. And that denial comes with an amazing delight, and that's the beauty of the gospel. It's a delight both here and later. It's a delight in this life and in the life to come. It's a delight to give up that which you cannot keep, as Jim Elliott said, to gain that which you cannot lose. And giving up the here and now, things that you're not going to be able to keep anyways, so as to gain eternal glory, value, and joy in Christ, that which you cannot lose, is a pretty good bargain, actually. In the moment, it doesn't feel like so much of a bargain, and we scratch our head and ask questions, is this denial worth it? 
And Christ sets the record straight and says, there's great delight in taking up your cross and following me and gaining everything in me when you lose your life for me. This is the progression of the gospel. As you remember in Ephesians 2 particularly, where we're told that no man is is saved by any works that he accomplishes. For by grace we've been saved, and, and not of works as any man should boast. It's not our accomplishment that rescues us from our sin. It's Christ. And then you remember, he goes on in, in verses 9 and 10 to, to tell us that that grace rescues us and changes us so that now we do the works we've been appointed beforehand to do. And so God in his electing work to rescue our soul then sets us on mission to do his work. And that requires denial daily in our hearts to give ourselves to him and following him. This is not unique to the gospel worker we send to another continent. This is baked in the cake of following Jesus. This is what it means to be a disciple of Christ. We live for and pursue him in all things. We, we view our talents, musical or otherwise. We view our skill sets and our experiences and our opportunities as Christ to live through us, to use as he sees fit for his work and his glory. So why go? That's why. Because Christ has called us to this as followers of him. Why stay? Why, why would someone then who's gone to the field and faces the challenges that are, are beyond comprehension at times and even beyond description? Paul says that in 2 Corinthians 1. We, it was so bad, we despaired of life itself. And there's going to be moments in every gospel worker's life, whether you're in full-time ministry or just a faithful follower of Jesus, where you're going to despair of what in the world is happening as you seek to follow Jesus. And you're oppressed by the vice grips of circumstances appointed by a sovereign God, and you can't make sense of it, and, and you just want to get out. You're looking for the escape hatch. What's the, the quickest way to relieve the tension and the pain and the difficulty? And that was... Paul's experience in ministry. He writes about it in the second letter to the church at Corinth. Particularly 2 Corinthians 4 is so helpful as we think about why stay. What what compels a a gospel worker to put up with all the difficulty that's going to be required, all the sacrifice it's going to cost, all the pain it's going to induce to their own soul? Why stay? Why go through that? Paul answers that question in verses 15 to 18 of 2 Corinthians 4, he says, For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. In other words, it's costing us something to do the work of God. And it costs something in every day, in every age, and in every place to follow our Lord. It, it requires taking up your cross daily and following Him, and it's going to cost something. Your outer man is going to waste away. But, he goes on to say, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So why stay when it gets so incredibly difficult and the sacrifice is high and the pain is great? Well, you stay because 
by staying, there's grace extended to more people. It says that in verse 15. More people have the grace of God extended to them through that ministry to increase thanksgiving to God for his own glory. How does that happen if we all leave? If none of us go, how does it get extended to more and more people? And if those who go don't stay long, give up when it gets too difficult, or when they get attacked on their motorcycle like our dear brother James did and had every reason in the world to say, you know what, that's enough. I'm out. That, that's the sacrifice threshold that's just too high. And he didn't. He said, no, I need to stay because grace needs to extend to these people. They need to know the grace of, the, of God that I know. And how will they hear if I don't stay? This is how grace extends because gospel workers stay. Beyond that, it, it expands our eternal joy. That's what he says in verses 17 and 18. So it extends grace to more people, but it also expands our eternal joy. He says that so clearly. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. God sees this differently than we do. And faith requires us taking him at his word and believing that though the temporal costs are high, the eternal gain is greater. Though the sacrifice is much here, the, the eternal joy is far beyond description. That's what Paul says. It's a preparing an eternal weight of glory that, that we can't even describe. It's beyond all comparison. It's something for Paul to run out of words to say it's like this. But he runs out of words. I, there's nothing I can compare it to. The, the eternal joy gained by this kind of sacrifice goes beyond our comprehension. So we stay in gospel ministry because it expands our eternal joy. Last question is why give? Why give? You, you by being here tonight, are being asked to partner with Caitlin. And we as a church are committing ourselves to that to prayerfully support her, to engage with what she'll face in trial and difficulty, and to be Aaron and her to her ministry and uphold her hands as the battle rages around her. But beyond that, to support her financially so she can go and she can stay so that grace can extend to more and more people and her and our eternal glory can be beyond comparison. But why give? Well, there's lots of answers biblically to that question. You can think of, of Paul in Acts 14 after his first missionary journey. He's returning back to Antioch. And he comes back to the, the city, the church that sent him. And it says in 14, 26, and 27, from there they sailed to Antioch where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. So why support? Why give? Because there's work to be done. There's work ahead of Caitlin that we get to partner with her in to go do. And then to be able to hear in years to come of her coming back and reporting of, here's the open door God gave for faith to Muslim people or wherever else on the European continent God would take her. Or you could turn to the letter of 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 1.11, where Paul is 
despairing of life itself and the difficulty of ministry. And he says, you also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessings granted us through the prayers of many. It's like this circular work in the body of Christ. We're going to go, but we, you must prayerfully support us so that the answers to your prayers will produce more thanksgiving to God, which will produce more prayers, which will produce more thanksgivings, will be ultimately to His glory. It's a beautiful picture. So pray so that the word goes forward so that more give thanks, and as more give thanks, more prayers are offered, more work is done, more thanks is given, more prayers are offered, more work is done, more thanks is given, and God is glorified. Why give? Because God is thanked when we pray and He answers. Or you could turn to 3 John, the, the last letter, the apostle. and His writing to that church as he talks to them about what they're doing, he says, Beloved, it's a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. Why? Verse 7, For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. John commends them and says, you've done well to receive them and to love them, but now send them on their way because there's work to be done for the sake of the name. And support them so that you can be co-workers with them for the truth. What, what better thing is there in a world filled with lies than for the church to rise up and support one another as fellow workers of the truth? to be fellow torch bearers and to help each other bear the light of truth in a dark and dying world. What a joy of the church's privilege to be able to do that. So we should give and support because we can partner with those who work for the sake of the truth. I know these are ABC principles of mission, but you got to ask the hard questions, the basic questions in moments like this. But there's a text that just gripped me as I thought about this question. Why give? What, why should I, Matt Cruz, give money to Caitlin to go to another continent to serve our Lord in, in gospel work? Why should I do that? Why should I pray? Why should I be compelled to, to read her newsletter and then get on my face before the Lord and say, God, you have to work here? Well, what should compel that kind of involvement, partnership, and commitment to my sister and to the Lord. Philippians 4 is the text I was drawn to. It's the exposition by Paul of the blessing of the gift of the Philippian church to his ministry. The whole letter is a response to their support of him. They heard he was in jail. They sent Epaphroditus to bring a gift to him because they knew he was in dire straits. He received their gift and the ministry of Epaphroditus, and he wrote the letter of Philippians back to them to thank them and to rejoice in all that God's doing and to instruct them. As he comes to the end of the letter, he just kind of he's talking about how he's learned to be content in, in want or in plenty. And then he says in verse 14, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit 
that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. As we think about missions, I'm going to say the quiet part out loud. I think sitting in the pew, you can look at missions asking, missionaries asking for financial support. And humanly speaking and fleshly mindedness can take over. And you can start wondering or start thinking, well, here we go again. Another missionary, he wants to go to a fun country and live there. and We get to support their their little tourist adventure while they go and have a good time in another place. Maybe it's just my fleshliness that has those thoughts. But you've probably had thoughts like that before. That we get to we get to just give our money so they get to go do fun things. Certainly that happens in missions. I trust not with our missionaries. I don't know of any that it's happening with. That was not happening with Paul. He was all in on the work of the gospel, and it was costing him heavily, and he was dependent upon the church's kindness to meet basic needs. And so he writes to thank them for that, and I want you to see the the privilege, the opportunity that is before us to partner with with missionaries, not just Caitlin, but all of them, and and to give of our finances and of our time to pray and support them. And I want you to see in, in verse 14, it's a kindness so why should you give? Because it's a kindness. Paul says, it was kind of you to share my trouble. You, by giving, you are sharing the trouble of a committed gospel worker who's given their lives for the sake of spreading and building Christ's church. And so you're being kind, and, and that's a good thing, right? To share their trouble in kindness. Verse 16, it's a help. He says, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. The support of missionaries is is not for their vacation funds or their fun European vacations. This is all about supporting them in their desperate needs. It's meeting real needs in real time. As we give to them, it's a a real help. Verse 17, we see that it's an investment. So it's a kindness, it's a help, and it's an investment. So it's not that I seek your gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. So see, Paul knows that, that if God didn't send what he needed through the Philippian church, God would send what he needed through someone else. And he longs not for the gift itself, but for the credit that would accrue to the spiritual account of the one who gives. God's style of accounting is much different than ours. It's not about zeros in your online bank statement that are behind the main numbers. It's about what we do with the money we've been given as it relates to eternity. And Paul says, I want you to, I'm commending you for giving to me because it accrues to your eternal spiritual account. It's an investment. It actually doesn't cost us anything to give the missions, it actually pays. It actually is an eternal investment. Verse 18, we also should give because it is pleasing to God. I have received full payment and more, Paul says, I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. And now he defines the gift as 
God sees it. He says it's a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. You see, missions are near to the heart of God. This is his agenda, not ours. This is his work, not ours. But the means for his agenda to be accomplished is us. Our people and our prayers and our money combined to accomplish his work. And when we give freely, joyfully, with a a heart of gratitude to the Lord, it pleases him. It's acceptable to him. He rejoices that his kids have been compelled by his grace to partner with someone else to extend that grace to more people. It pleases God. Also in verse 19, it's trusting. Why should you give? Because it's, it's an act of trust, and it's an act of trust that compels more trust. One of the quickest ways you can learn to let go of what you own is to give to mission. To, to put your treasure where you want your heart to be. That's what Jesus said, right? Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So put your treasure where you want your heart to be. You want your heart to be in the gospel and the gospel work around the world, then give your money to it. And you'll find that your heart is drawn to where your money goes. As you trust him with the gift sent, you are forced to trust him again to supply the need that giving that gift created for you. That's what happened in the Philippian church. They weren't a wealthy people. They were a needy people. That's why Paul says what he says in chapter 4. I've learned in times of need or times of plenty to be content. He's, he's teaching them. They can do the same. He knew they were hurting. He knew out of their difficulty they had sent him an abundantly kind and generous gift. And so he says to them, in your giving, you've trusted, and I know God will supply your needs. He's good for it. You've written a check of faith. God will cash it. Don't worry about it. He'll take care of it. And he'll supply you again so you can give again, so his grace can extend to more and more again, so he can be glorified again. It's trusting. Lastly, it's glorifying. That's in verse 20. The whole thing combines into this explosion of doxological truth. Glory be to God forever and ever. It's, it's from Him, it's through Him, and it's to Him. To Him be all the glory, both now and on the day of eternity. It's, a, it's about Him, it's by Him, and it's for Him. So why should you give? This is one of the easiest ways to glorify God. It's one of the simplest ways to put your money where your mouth is. Because you say, I want my life to be for the glory of God, right? One of the easiest ways to show that you want your life to be about the glory of God is to give of your time to support missionaries in prayer and encouragement and to give of your money to support missionaries in real-time needs for the sake of the gospel. Now, I say none of that as confrontation to you or exhortation to you as though you're not doing this. You are doing this. Praise be to God. You are doing this. And so that which you are doing, may we do all the more. May we thrive in these things of support for missions 
May God raise up more to go. May God keep those who have gone where they are for the sake of his name. Let's pray together. God in heaven, thank you so much for your word and its clarity and its compelling truth. Father, we ask that you would help each of us to examine our own hearts and lives and as we enter into the day tomorrow and into a new week, would you help us to take up our cross and to die to self, to be united to Christ by faith, to follow him and to know and walk in the abundance of life that can only be found in him. And then, Father, would you help us to be faithful, wherever that leads, to be your servants for your glory, accomplishing the works you've ordained for us to do. We also pray that you would compel us to think about our finances and how we use them. Lord, help us. We are so desperately selfish here. Help us, Father, to reevaluate what we do with what you've given. And help us to have this eternal perspective, this biblical framework of how we use that which you've entrusted to us. And help us to think of our givings to missions in this way, in this Philippians 4 way. And in so doing, then, Lord, would you use our sacrificial giving to expand the work of the gospel around the world. The time is short. The need is great. The burden is huge. The lost are hopeless without us going to them and telling them the truth. Please, Father, do your work through us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.